The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Forum with your host, Seema Vasa. Our program is designed to bring you business tips and success stories directly from the people who are making it happen. If you could use a little motivation and a lot of ideas to help you and your company move forward, stick around for the next hour. Now, here is Seema Vasa. Welcome to The Forum. I'm your host, Seema Vasa. Today, we have a special treat. I have my friend, Kristen Luck, here joining us. Kristen is a serial entrepreneur turned growth strategist. She most recently served as a partner and president slash CMO of Decipher until its acquisition in 2014. And she currently is a growth strategy consultant specializing in non-traditional sales and marketing strategies. What I didn't know is that Kristen is consistently ranked as one of the top 100 sales and marketing experts to follow on social media. Welcome, Kristen. Great. Thanks for having me, Seema. That social media ranking almost feels harder than uh, selling a business. <laughs> yes, I think it is. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I was surprised to see it myself at first, but now I really follow it. So I make That's sure exciting. that I'm still on that list. <laughs> I guess what ties into that is uh, very much what I believe you're known for. You have a fantastic brand in our industry. And it's quite consistently perceived by many as reputable and, you know, all the things that you represent are so positive. You know, curious from your perspective, what are the benefits of having a personal brand? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think that it's something that people don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about. And quite honestly, when, you know, when I first, I guess when I first started developing my personal brand, it's not really something I gave a whole lot of thought to. It just kind of started happening organically. Happening. Um, you know, I mean, I think the benefits are, you know, certainly recognition and awareness. So it opens a lot of doors. Um, certainly, you know, when I, when I was, uh, at my last firm decipher and I was serving in more of a, you know, sales and, and marketing roles compared to my two partners, you know, it really helped in terms of, you know, opening doors, getting meetings that I probably wouldn't be able to get otherwise getting speaking gigs and, um, you know, public speaking, uh, arrangements that i I probably wouldn't have been noticed for, uh, right. you know, had I not spent some time cultivating that brand on on social media and also by doing doing writing. Yeah, that's that's so true. And and do you think that everyone really needs a personal brand, or is it certain positions, certain types of people? What's your what's your perspective on that? Well, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people think, oh, you don't need a personal brand if you're not in a sales or marketing role or if you're not, you know, a founder of a company. And, you know, I disagree with that to a certain extent. I mean, I don't think there's anyone a personal brand doesn't benefit. I think a lot of times people shy away from that sort of personal branding um, work because they feel like they don't have the right personality for it. You know, they think like, well, I'm really introverted. And so because I'm naturally introverted, I, I kind of shy away from those types of activities. But I think that there's personal branding things you can do regardless of your personality type. You know, if you're really introverted, then I would say focus more on, on writing and journal submissions and um, social media. You know, if you're a little more extroverted, then, you know, public speaking engagements might be the way to go. And so I think that there's a lot of ways that you can really tailor it so that, you know, you're doing something that feels organic and natural for your own personality. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think we take it for granted versus when we look at, you know, people's roles and organizations, if they're externally facing versus internally facing operations, that that's not a requirement. Um, but and, and it almost feels like people take themselves out of that, where in reality, it could benefit on, on many levels. Um, and, 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 you know, I know there's always confusion, especially since you work with a lot of, you know, early to mid-stage companies, the personal brand as it relates to the company brand, sometimes I feel like there's <laughs> some commu- confusion there and, and sorting that out. Like, wait, where does this fit? Do I, how do I link these two together, if you will? For sure. You- and then, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a touchy thing for sure. And it was a problem that I actually ran into at Decipher a little bit. So, 
when, you know, when I first joined Decipher, you know, I'd already kind of cultivated a, you know, a, you know, a, a fairly strong personal brand. And I remember I went to a, you know, a meeting at Procter and Gamble, and it was this group of, you know, vendors basically that Procter and Gamble had invited in to to speak for the day. And at right. the end of my talk, a guy from Procter and Gamble said, "Well." I've, gosh, everyone here knows who you are, but we've never heard of this company before. And that, right. was, you know, that was a real wake-up call to me that I needed to make sure that, you know, the Kristen Luck brand didn't, you know, didn't overstep on top of the Decipher brand because what I really wanted to make sure happened was that every time people saw me or, you know, or thought of me or saw my name, that they immediately thought of Decipher and that, that goodwill they had toward me carried over to the brand and extended into, you know, helping grow our business. But, it, you That's know, again, it was, it was tricky when I left the company. You know, we, we sold the company at the end of 2014, and I exited the firm three months later. And, you know, fortunately, the, the firm went on under the Focus Vision umbrella, which was the name of the firm that purchased us. But it certainly would have been trickier had we kept that Cypher brand and then I had exited the firm on top of that. Absolutely. And, and what do you, when you think about the activities or the work that you put into you know, growing and evolving your brand. Can you give our listeners some ideas of, you know, how much time does that take? I know everybody uh-huh. is swamped and, you know, the days it couldn't be long enough in, on, in some weeks. Um, I, I think it's, it feels daunting for many people, but how do you weave it into your day and in your set of activities? Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things I always tell my clients, and this was, you know, this was definitely something that, you know, I gave a lot of thought to at Decipher, which is, you know, you kind of have to give yourself a reality check. Do you have more money or do you have more time? And, you know, occasionally people come back and say, well, I don't have either. Well, you've got to pick one, you know, when you're willing to give up. Um, you know, for me, you know, when we, you know, when, we, when I joined Decipher and, you know, really, you know, started digging into the sales and marketing side of things, you know, we didn't really have, we had no money to spend. And so I did spend, you know, probably a lot more time than what I actually had. And I worked some very long hours and, you know, did spend more time writing and um, blogging and, um, and posting on social media and, and talking. And, but, now, you know, certainly running my growth strategy practice now, I'm really short on time. Um, right. I have, you know, more money to spend, but I don't necessarily want to spend it. But I think one of the things that's helpful for me, you know, is that I, I do spend a lot of time reading. Um, and so I look and read articles that are relevant to my business and my client's business. And then I'm able to, you know, sort of repost those, add content, my perspective on it without having to go through a lot of work, of like cultivating and writing an article from scratch. So I do, you know, I, I give a lot of perspective and a lot of insight on like, hey, this is actually a really interesting perspective or position on this particular business challenge and here's my take on it, which is kind of like a shortcut to content marketing. Yeah, but it's great because, I mean, it, it shows that, number one, you're, you're keeping abreast on topics in the industry that are relevant to your clients and future prospects. Um, but and then it also kind of highlights kind of your ability to understand what's going on in perspective. So uh, that's a great tip instead yeah. of starting from I scratch. It, I think the other thing, too, is like people try to do too much. And mm-hmm. because it seems so overwhelming, they tend not to do anything at all. You know, like, I can't even tell you how many times I've had people say that I should start a blog. I don't want to start a blog. I don't have the time <laughs> or the interest to do a yes. blog. I just don't, you know, and I'm, you yeah. know, I've been able to cultivate a brand and a strong social media following, you know, without blogging um, consistently, but I certainly write for other people's, you know, other people's blogs or, you know, industry publications. Um, I've written some for Fast Company and Forbes and, you know, all of that helps, you know, right. strengthen my personal brand without me having to blog. But I do think one of the keys to personal branding is really consistency. So doing a little something every single day, you know, I post to Twitter a couple times a day. And for me, yeah, I don't use a lot of social media schedulers or, um, right. planning documents because I, w- I want it to feel very organic. You know, my personality is very spontaneous. Um, you know, I like to post in the moment. I, f- I find something I'm really excited about and I want to share that. Um, and so that's what works for me. But I think, you know, just committing to even if it's just five or ten minutes a day, you know, doing a little bit of reading and then, you know, sharing that, um, sharing that with the followers that you're, you know, that you're, that you're cultivating is really important. And do you do you decide how many articles you might want to write or submit to to publications, or is that organic as well? In that you have an article idea and you say, "Okay, now I'm going to write this." How does that work for you? 
Yeah, I mean, lots of times I get an article idea, and so I'll pitch the idea in advance before I actually write it to to make sure that a publication will take it. Sometimes that Smart. backfires on me because just recently I I had a publication, a pretty big name publication, that had agreed to take an article idea that I had, and then it literally took me eight months to write the article. Oh, <laughs> I just got really busy, and you know, I just couldn't get to it. You know, and yeah. then when I finally submit yes. to them, they're like, "We're not interested anymore." So now I'm trying oh, to kind of pitch it. After I already wrote it, but the good thing is, I really like the article, and I took you know I, I actually wrote it at a time when I was really excited to write it, and um, the topic was really resonating with me at the time. So, you know, I, a lot of times too, I'll get, and this is the power of the personal brand. Lots of times I get asked to write articles, and that's really helpful because then they set the deadline for me, and that's the first thing I kind of ask for when I agree to an article is like, hey, can you tell me when do you need it by because. You know, otherwise it'll turn into an eight-month situation that I just described where, you know, I'll say I'm going to do something and I'm a horrible procrastinator, so I just don't get it done. So, you know. That external timeline is always helpful. Oh, God. uh, I mean, it's just necessary for me. Like I said, I'm a horrible (laughs) procrastinator. So, but you know, that's, again, the power of the personal brand is when you get to a point where people are actually asking for your opinion and your input and they want your insights on things, then, you know, you don't have to work so hard to get your content out there because people are actually asking you for it and publishing on your behalf. And what, what, how do you get to that point? Is, is is it really just what we've talked about, step by step, building your social media following and your brand? And ultimately, if you do the right work, people will eventually come and ask you to write articles. Or is there something different uh, that you have to actually do to be able to get to that point? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. I mean, you definitely do have to, you know, cultivate, you know, cultivate a following, you know, and 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 get known for top talking on specific topics. But I think a lot of right. it is, you know, I worked with a PR firm in my early days and, you know, they had shopped around a bunch of my articles. And so because of that, I met a lot of these press contacts at these publications, whether they're industry or specific or outside of the industry. Um, and so when they would approach me about writing something else, I would always say yes. And, and, and this is the other mantra, you know, which is say yes. When people right. ask you to do things, I think a, a lot of people think like, well, I'm not the industry expert on this. Right. Maybe there's someone smarter or better than me. And what I've realized over time is that I'm really qualified to talk about the things that I talk about. And I, you know, it might be bold to say there's no one smarter or better than me, but nobody has the same perspective that I have. That's um, a great. And so that's I, a great quote. You know, and, yeah, you know, unless there is something that like I absolutely know nothing about, or I simply don't have the bandwidth to commit to it, I always say right. yes. That's good you know, and that's three well. quarters of the battle. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, publish, publishers and editors, they want to work with people that are going to say yes and are going to get things in on time. So, you know, if I say yes and someone gives me a deadline, you better believe they're going to get that article on time or they're going to get it a few days early. That's fantastic. That's good advice as well. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people question their own confidence and saying, can I actually contribute something of value? And I love how you say that it's it, it doesn't mean that somebody's smarter or not smarter than me, but it's it's really a unique perspe- perspective and feeling confident in your perspective. Uh, that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, think, when know. we come back, yeah. we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about entrepreneurship and what you see as some of the key characteristics of successful people um, in entrepreneurship versus um, people who might benefit from some advice. So when we come yeah. back, we'll talk to Kristen. Stay, stay tuned for after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. 
Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back to the forum. I'm talking to Kristen Lunk, a serial entrepreneur turned growth strategist. And Kristen, before the break, we were just talking about personal brand and how companies and people can take advantage of building their own personal brand. I want to take a turn or a little shift here to talk more about entrepreneurship. You work with a lot of early to mid-stage companies and you're an entrepreneur yourself. What's the number one behavior you see that keeps entrepreneurs from truly being successful? Oh boy, um, yeah, that's a that's an easy one actually because it's something I've done myself in the in the past. Um, I think you know one of the things that I feel like it's a is a big pitfall for entrepreneurs is wanting to do everything yourself. Um, you know, many times entrepreneurs are this really unique breed of people that are super capable, um, right. and so they can do a lot of things. You know, by the time I started my own company, you know, my first company, I had worked in operations, I'd been an analyst, um, you know, I'd worked in some capacity in sales and marketing, and so I was a little bit of a quarterback at that point. Right. Uh, and in, in many cases, it was really tough for me to kind of get out of my own way and focus on the things that were really important. Um, and, you know, I've got, a, I've got a CEO that I'm working with now who, you know, when we first started working together, was actually booking the travel for their entire company. Because it was, right. they thought it was easier and cheaper than having someone else do it. And one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, think about what your hourly rate is and the things that are really going to drive your business forward and focus on those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, case in point, my second startup, you know, I was it's totally self-funded. Um, I'd taken out an SBA loan using my house as collateral. And so I was really pinching every penny and, you know, really trying to be frugal. And so as part of that, I was, um, after, you know, working a 15 hour day was cleaning the bathroom at night in my office <laughs> myself, <laughs> you know, versus paying someone, you know, $15 right. an hour to pay, to clean it for me, you know, so yes. I could go home and get some sleep. And, you know, and it is a consistent behavior that I see over and over again. I mean, at almost every engagement I go into, I see a situation where a CEO or a founder are doing ridiculous things that when they really mm-hmm. thought about, well, what would it cost me to pay someone to do that for me? They would never, ever do it themselves again. Yeah. And I think that uh, the the personality also is that nobody's going to do it the way that I want to do it. So I might as well ju- just do it myself because I'll have to fix it later. Uh, Correct. I don't know if and- you see that as well. Yeah, that's like one of my key pieces of advice that I give to the founders that I work with is don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. (laughs) Um, I'm a complete perfectionist. I like things done a certain way. Um, You know, you give me a piece of copy, that copy might be totally fine and I'll edit the hell out of it to get it just the way that I want it. Mm -hmm. But is that a good use of my time every day? No, absolutely not. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's, sort of my preaching to the choir is, you know, don't, don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. You know, good enough is, is good enough for a lot of things, you know, and like let perfect, you know, be, be a sticking point on the things that really matter, you know, like a yeah. technology launch or, you know, a big new product launch. Those are the places where perfection is important. Yeah, that's such great advice because you can't be perfect at everything. It's just not possible. And you end up eating up and wasting a lot of time and quite frankly, being exhausted. Yeah, I take it from me. I mean, I have tried the per- the perfect perfect route, and it is it's a it's a it's a it's a slog for sure. Yeah. And have you seen yeah. people embrace the philosophy, or, or and I mean, have you seen the change? Do people take that advice and actually let go and say, you know what, 
I'm going to, you know, rationally think about this and I need to actually change my behavior. Yeah, in, in most cases, yes. I mean, definitely I've worked with, you know, worked with some founders that just really, you know, every month we have to go back and say, like, remember what we talked about, you know, right. why are you yes. doing this activity or, you know, or I'll get an email late at night with something where they're clearly working on something that, you know, is not going to benefit their business in the long run. And so, so, yeah, so, I mean, I think, it, you know, any type of behavior like that takes time to change. You know, I think what's the rule of thumb? It takes 21 days to create a new habit. Great so habit. maybe it's 21 times where you have to push the reset button <laughs> and say, why am I doing this, you know? Right. Um, you know, and it's hard. You know, many of the companies that I work with are not financially stable. You know, they're struggling right. to grow. They've, they've had, you know, some kind of internal catastrophe or a downturn in revenue. And so, you know, to, to spend money doing things or changing behaviors, that can be a really, really scary thing. And it can also feel really uncomfortable for people. And mm-hmm. so there's not just a, you know, a psychological shift that has to be made, but, you know, it's just, it's really, you know, just embracing that fact that, hey, that behavior that I was doing isn't serving me anymore. Yeah, and I think one of your other mottos you shared with us, you shared with me a while ago is, you know, spending or, or shifting from spending time working on the business versus not in the business. D- t- tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about that in terms of what you see versus what you think needs to happen more. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that is another one of my mantras and, and something I, you know, I sort of preach to all the CEOs that I work with is, you know, to really spend, you know, 80 to 90% of your time every day working on the business. And by on the business, I mean things that will strategically move that business ahead. Um, things that are working in the business are like doing invoicing. Right. I personally love doing invoicing. I find it very satisfying. Yes. Um, is it, you know, is it above, you know, is it something that I should be spending my time on? No. You know, there's somebody else I could pay to do that. It doesn't help me move my business ahead strategically. I personally find it very soothing. You know, uh, you know, one of the other things to remember is, you know, people gravitate to the tasks that are the easiest and the most familiar to them. Um, And so if I have to, you know, choose between, you know, going out and making a pitch to a new client or doing my invoicing, I can tell you which one I'm going to pick every time I'm going to do the invoicing. Um, Yeah. I'm going to sit in my little comfortable QuickBooks world and do my invoicing. So, uh, you know, what I really encourage people to do is, you know, really be thoughtful about the amount of time that you spend doing those mundane tasks and be cognizant of them when it's happening, you know. You, yeah, you might have had a really exhausting day and say, I just feel like doing something brainless right now. And that's great. That can fit into your 10 to 20% bucket that you spend, you know, working in the business. But everything else should be focused on strategy, sales and marketing, you know, um, how is the business going to grow? What's your, you know, what's your growth strategy? What's your strategic plan for the business? You know, and really mapping out how you're going to get there. And that's what, that's what founders and entrepreneurs need to be spending their time on. I totally agree. It reminds me of a funny story. I, I, I've been working with one of the companies in, in my portfolio, and I, I asked the CEO, I go, what's your favorite activity? And he, and he said, invoicing. And I go, really? Because it's so satisfying. It's like, you know, money's coming in, the work is done, and now I can invoice it. And we were laughing hysterically. I'm like, okay, I can see how that's really interesting, how that's really satisfying. Um, yeah. But, it you is, know, but the other thing that it brings slope. up, and I'm curious what your perspective is, is that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are not necessarily good at sales and marketing. And how do you how do you compensate for that? You know, it's almost like, you know, being an introvert and, and feeling you have to be an extrovert, which, as you know, is a very hard shift. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think a lot of people are surprised when I say I'm actually naturally introverted, Um you know, I I work very, very hard to bring out the more extroverted side of my personality such that I think I'm probably more of an ambivert now than anything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I do run into a fair number of companies, you know, where the founder has a really great business idea and there might be two or three partners in the business and they launch the business with, you know, one or two clients. Right. Um, and they think, great, we've got one or two clients. They maybe have a million or two in revenue. Things are going great. And then one of those clients goes away or decreases or something happens to them. And now all of a sudden they only have one client. Right. And then, you know, that client's business starts decreasing. And now guess what? They're on the verge of going out of business. And everyone's kind of mm-hmm. standing around looking at each other like deer in the headlights. What do we do now? 
Um, and, you know, I, I recognize that not everyone is comfortable with sales and marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And what I tell founders in those situations is, A, either hire someone who can, who can do sales and marketing, who understands that and is comfortable and living in that world, or right. figure out a sales and marketing strategy that will work for you and your unique personality. I mean, I think, you know, in the market research industry, there's some, you know, great examples of people who are really introverted, but who have figured out ways to grow their business while doing sales and marketing activities that are comfortable for them. You know, they're doing content marketing, you know, they're doing a little bit of public speaking, you know, they're able to go out and, um, you know, cultivate contacts through content marketing such that they don't have to kind of do cold calling some of the more uncomfortable, you know, traditional sales activities. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say it's impossible to grow your business, you know, if you're not comfortable with sales and marketing, but I would say make sure that you have a plan to address it when you watch Kristen, I know that uh, we have lots to talk about. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we covered was Wire. I know it's something near and dear to both of us. You're the founder of it. Just give us a, a quick kind of inspiration. What was the inspiration behind starting Wire? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Women in Research is my global nonprofit that I run now. Mm-hmm. Just happened sort of organically over the last 10 years. Uh, you know, I started um, Wire back in 2007 in Los Angeles. It was You know, it was something really informal. I had a friend of mine that had moved to Los Angeles that was in the industry and was literally having a really hard time meeting other women in the business because she had realized something that I had kind of recognized in my own career, which was in the early stages of her career and mine as well, I worked almost exclusively with women. And then as you get more and more senior in your career, at least in the research industry, you work almost exclusively with men. Um, Right. And so... You know, she just kind of wanted an opportunity to meet other women in the area, and I was like, wow, I know a ton of women in research. We'll all get together and have cocktails one night, and we did, and we had so much fun. We kept doing it, and organically, it kind of grew. One of the women that was in the network moved to New York, and we started doing events in New York, and then she moved to London, and we started doing events in London, and then she moved to San Francisco, (laughs) and then we started doing events there, and now today, we've got over 6,000 women in the community globally, and we host um, 20 events a year on uh, four continents. So That's amazing. That's big. Yeah, it's wow. amazing. Yeah, that's great. And it's 10 years now, right? You're officially at the 10-year mark. 10 years. 2017 is our 10-year anniversary, and, you know, we've got a whole host of both online and offline programming that we support. And as you know, um, you know, this, this past year, we formally launched Wire Exec, which is a forum specifically focused on women in leadership positions in the research industry and really working, looking at ways that women can really collaborate and put ourselves forward and kind of create the, the next um, the next kind of wave of, of female entrepreneurs in the research business. That's exciting. I want to definitely continue this conversation. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about women in research and just Kristen's observations over the 10 years. What's changed? Where have we improved? And, you know, where can we go from there? Stay tuned for after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I'm talking to Kristen Luck. Uh, we, when we left before the break, we were talking about Wire Women in Research, and recently Wire celebrated its tenth year. Uh, Kristen is actually is the founder of Wire. Kristen, I'm curious. Over the last ten years, what have you seen change? What are kind of some of the trends that have emerged over ten years that you could have you you've been a witness to, and you know more than likely have facilitated to some degree with the start of Wire. You know, certainly a greater focus and awareness on the roles that women play um, in in the research industry. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've really tried to illuminate is disparities, not just in executive management, the leading research companies, but also disparities that we see in, you know, gender representation on stage. So if you go to a conference, you know, how many of the speakers on stage are male versus female? You know, I'd say right. 10 years ago, almost exclusively male. Um, you know, even as, you know, little as five years ago, we were still seeing, you know, uh, you know, uh, predominantly all male panel discussions on stage. And I think, you know, Wires played a real key role in illuminating like, hey, women have perspectives too. We're actually the driving force of the industry. Um, right. you know, w- you know, women were kind of the original pioneers of the research industry. Um, you know, we play, a, we play and have played a very important role in the development and, um, uh, I guess, evolution of, of research. And, and, you know, we deserve to have a seat at the table and a voice there. And so, from my perspective, Wire's role is really, you know, how do we enhance the voice and presence of, of women and get that seat at the table and, you know, really ask for those roles, you know, volunteer for speaking gigs and, you know, um, coach that next generation of women to make sure you're getting on stage in your management table and that you also, you know, see examples of other women starting businesses and know that entrepreneurship is a real option for you. Uh, yeah, I definitely have noticed that, especially over the last couple of years where, you know, there are third parties that are keeping uh, all of us accountable to ensure that we have diversity on stage and at these different conferences, which, you know, I've had just recently had a board meeting and we were looking for new board members and somebody said, well, let's look at the gender diversity and make sure that it's equal and balanced. I would have never heard that, I think, even five years ago. And it was great. And, yeah. and, and, and it literally came from uh, a male, uh, which is I was just so pleasantly surprised to hear that. It's nice to see the shift. I think a lot of what we're trying to do at WIRE, too, and you can see this, you know, in the makeup of our our advisory board at WIRE is, you know, we're really trying to be inclusive of male perspectives and making sure that men are really involved in those conversations, too, because it doesn't, it doesn't work to have a conversation about diversity with a bunch of women. I totally (laughs) agree with that. that Yeah, it doesn't really move. You know, we really need men to champion women. You know, I mean, you and I have had a couple of conversations about, you know, trying to serve on more boards. And the truth of the matter is happen and are recommended by people already sitting on the board. You right. know, and if, you know, for, for the for the majority of white males are the ones serving on the boards and they're recommending other white males, they know, you know, it makes it really hard for women to move into those board seats. And so, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've been recommended for boards by, mm-hmm. you know, by guys who, who thought that I'd make a good addition and who were interested in diversifying their board. And, you know, I kind of look at that also as my opportunity to pay it forward and to recommend other women for board seats and for board roles and to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm really setting an example and also, you know, that this is not, you know, 10, 15 years ago where there was only room at the table for one, one, one right. woman and there was a lot of competition going on versus what I see now, which is more of this collaboration and how do we lift each other up and help each other go, go into those roles. I, I totally see that trend as well, and it's and it's nice, and I think at least uh, people of uh, women of our generation believe in in that concept of paying it forward, where uh, there are feelings of competition from other generations. Not a criticism, uh, you know. In some ways, they paved the way for us and and made these opportunities possible. But it's nice to see that uh, encouraging the encouraging other women as well as the next generation to to do more and to get out there and and, and you know tying it all back together, having a personal brand and a voice which is crucial yeah, to, to sure. kind of continue to grow. 
and what are your plans for Wire going forward? What would you love to see Wire become in the next five years? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a few, you know, there's a few things that we're doing. I mean, one is, you know, we hired a managing director this past year, Michelle Andre, who's, you know, who's very thankfully taken over a lot of the day-to-day so that I can really focus on, hey, what, you know, so I can work on the business, you know. Right. <laughs> Not in it so much. You know, because very good. business and we need to look at what our, you know, what our strategy is long-term. And so, you know, one of the things I'm really focused on and that our, you know, global advisory board is really focused on is what is going to drive measurable change. So, you know, what are programs where companies can really rely on WIRE as a diversity resource? Um, you know, what are organizations that we can partner with like SMR, like the MRS, um, you know, like the Insights Association, mm-hmm. where we can really make sure that we're complementing the activities of those associations and making sure that women have a voice in the direction that this industry is headed. So, you know, everything from you know, making sure that conferences have a, you know, 50-50 gender split to, um, you know, working with private companies to make sure that they've got pay parity um, um, and um, by men versus women to, um, you know, uh, working with the SMR Foundation to support uh, women um, who need scholarships in emerging or conflict markets. You know, those are all right. the sorts of things that are on our agenda moving forward. That's fantastic. It's it's a great cause and, and very relevant to our industry as well as other industries, I'm sure. So let's shift gears a little bit. As we talk about our industry, it's 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 radically changing as as we um, even speak. I'm I'm sure there's some new technology that was just invented. Uh, what, what's your perspective on market research in terms of all the technology that's kind of disrupting our traditional methodologies? Yeah, you know it's funny because. You know, every year at the end of the year, I get asked by some industry publication to predict what's going to happen in the next year. And I have to say, I don't think any of my predictions have ever come to fruition, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which means I'm either really bad at predicting the future or industry just moves at a pretty glacial pace. Um, Right. You know, I I think, and you probably echo this feeling, Seema, you know, our in our industry, I think we're really great about talking about the future of research, but really poor at actually moving away from the traditional research methods that we're really comfortable with. And, right. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate because, in, you know, my role now as an advisor, I, you know, I get to work with a lot of really exciting companies that are disrupting and coming up with new technology and new ways of doing things. And it's, you know, I think that a lot of those companies are... I did back in 2000 when I was trying to convince people that, you know, on platform, you know, they're going through those same kind of, you know, struggles right? To implement and adopt new technologies today. You know, I, I will say, if you look at my LinkedIn profile and the types of companies I advise, you know, in terms of the, where I think the industry is heading and then, you know, the types of companies that I'm interested in, you know, they're doing, you know, cutting edge work in, you know, video, um, I, uh, data visualization, you know, those are the, those are my interest, and I think, you know, that's what's been really important to, I think, the success of all my businesses, and I think, you know, even in my in my career now as a growth strategist is that I really try to only work on things that I'm really interested and excited about that I naturally gravitate toward. Um, yep. And so, you know, if, if I have to think about the future of research, I'd say, gosh, if there were three things, you know, I had to focus on, it would be video, Um AI and then and then data visualization. Yep, and and I'm surprised the word of big data uh, didn't come to the top three. What's your perspective on big data? Uh, I guess you know I didn't include big data because it's such a broad term. Um, you know, it kind of it kind of fits into everything that we do in research these days, and you know. Big data is only getting bigger. Uh, you know, we're we're dealing with multiple data streams. You know, and in many cases, mostly secondary data right. streams that I think most researchers are not really embraced um, um, fully. And so, you know, when I look at, at you know the, the areas that I'm interested in, you know, things like AI. You know, that's that's really about how you know how do we really effectively use data? Secondary research. You know, how do we get smarter about working with those sources that, so that we can you know integrate primary research data um, within that and not you know not look at those things in isolation. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. Big data is getting bigger, and I, I think it's somewhat overwhelming. 
And so to integrate, it's almost like plotting steps sequentially to be able to ultimately digest the data um, and the tools that, right. that are required for that. It, it's, it's quite overwhelming. Um, even just looking at passive metering data is overwhelming. There's just so much content there. And how do you make sense of it all? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the companies that I see that I'm really excited about are the ones that are, they're looking at all of these multiple streams of data and figuring out, well, how do we use these in the smartest way? You know, I used yes. to have clients call me all the time and say, you know, hey, I've got this social media data and I want to combine it with my primary research data. And my mm-hmm. first question would always be, well, what are you trying to get out of it? You know, and, you know, yeah. if they couldn't answer that question, it was kind of a red flag. Like, they're just kind of asking to have it without really understanding, well, how do all of these pieces fit together? And so I think the companies that are really going to succeed are the ones that understand, you know, how do we put all these pieces together and create something really meaningful? I totally agree. I think it really challenges us as researchers to understand how data fits into the different decision-making processes, which we've, we've talked about all the time. But even now that there's more accessibility to more data, you know, we have to be wise about the time and the technology we put into it to, to put context around what decisions is this going to help me support, uh, which, you know, yeah. data is like candy. It's like you just want more and more of it. But really, is it really that good for you? You kind of have to make sure you know what you're doing with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, and, I, you know, I think the thing that's interesting is that, that a lot of full-service research firms are really, you know, like, it's unfamiliar territory, and like I said earlier, you know, people kind of gravitate to the things that are the most comfortable. Yes. So, you yeah. know, if they can still use primary research for everything, they will. Um, right. You know, I see a real reluctance, you know, to to work with secondary data sources, and I think a lot of that is because it's just not comfortable with it. There's not a familiarity there. Um, you know, the formats are often a little different and tougher to work with. And, um, and so I don't think that we're going to see a real big move in that area until, you know, the full service firms are really forced to, forced to move that direction. And I don't think we've quite reached that tipping point. I'd agree with you. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Kristen. Stay tuned for after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasan. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. We're back. I'm talking to Kristen Luck, who's a growth strategy consultant, and we are talking about um, research, the research industry, and how so many changes are occurring in terms of different methodologies and technologies that are disrupting our industry. And Kristen, you and I were talking about the fact that, 
you know, our industry, although we like to predict big change, we tend to move at a slower pace. And (laughs) I'm, I'm wondering, like, at some point, a lot of these companies that are disrupting, you know, they're gonna have to make some moves that might feel uncomfortable, like going to directly to end clients. Have you seen any of this? Or are you still seeing a lot of the new technology and methodologies trying to be sold to full service agencies? Yeah, I would, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, a lot of the firms that I'm advising are taking that, you know, in, in in large part because of the advising that I'm doing, are taking a lot of the same stuff that we did at Cypher, you know, when, you know, technology solutions, you know, originally we tried going out to all the big full service research firms and, and trying to get them to integrate our technology. And there's a point where, you know, they just were not, not in and doing anything new and different, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of, I think, upside for them to, to make those changes. You know, they right. were having clients who were banging on the door looking for new solutions, and so, you know, they, you know, as long as they could stay in their kind of comfortable space and not make, you know, not rock the boat, I think they were pretty happy to stay in the space they were. And, you know, one of the, one of the things we did that really was a tipping point for us is that we actually sold our platform into Eli Lilly. Um, you know, and because of that, it kind of created this, you know, wave of, you know, now all of those Eli Lilly suppliers had to start working with us and use our platform. And at the time, yeah, you know, we were not that popular because of it. Right, um, right. We got a fair amount of pushback, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we ended up with a much greater adoption of our platform because we did, you know, we did sell direct. And I, you know, I advise a lot of the companies that I advise to do this to be the same thing, you know, that, you know, oftentimes, you know, full service suppliers are the slowest to change, again, because there's not a whole lot of incentive to, to do so. Um, and that many times it's the, you know, the corporate researchers that really be and are willing to adopt and try new things and, and to have a champion, you know. And, and I think that's important, too, is to find a company that's willing to experiment and Someone who you know who believes in the technology and the and the the benefit to to change and is willing to to advocate for you. Yeah, I totally agree, and I and I think that uh, you know many times it's it's a tough balance because you know the model for analysis it could be beneficial when working with a full service agency just because if you're working on building your product or your technology and then you have to add in a layer of analysis for the for the client it, it's a lot but I, I definitely agree with you it's worth it and I'm sure you know when you sold to Eli Lilly you were validated and it made people um, look up and say oh no maybe I need to talk to Decipher um, the end yeah. clients are, are kind of clamoring to try this so it, it's it's a wise strategy yeah. sometimes unpopular and sometimes hard to do, but I, I agree with you. It, it's definitely worthwhile yeah. of, a, of a try. And the truth of the matter, too, is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, gosh, aren't you nervous you're going to get blackballed by all the suppliers? And I said, well, no. I mean, they weren't going to buy from me in the first place. So that, Right. That, you, you have know, nothing to lose. The truth of the matter is, yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter, though, is it also created an opportunity for a lot of conversations that people weren't willing to have before mm-hmm. that happened. So, you know, I came in from the perspective like, hey, I'm not trying to steal business from you. I'm really trying to work and collaborate with you, and this is the best way of doing that. Um, right. You know, and I, I have strong relationships with those suppliers to this, to this day. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. And and when you talk to um, some of those suppliers, like now, when those suppliers are approached with new technology and, you know, some kind of disruptive methodology, are, are you seeing a little bit of a shift in terms of saying, oh, wait, you know, there's a lot changing here. Maybe I should listen a little bit more closely and think about it. Or are you still seeing the same traditional thinking? Yeah, it, it depends. But, you know, and some of the smaller, more boutique firms, I'm seeing, you know, a real willingness to adopt new techniques and technologies. And I think more of that is, is because they're just trying to you know, become more competitive and, you know, a little more agile and nimble and for right. them to take on a new technology or a new solution, it's not it's not as big of a commitment as if you're somebody like an Ipsos or Cantor or GFK, you know, like sure. adopting something new and those organizations is a much bigger, you know, initiative. You know, I will say that, you know, I love the model that Cantor is, is using in terms of experimenting and investing in new technologies. You know, they're, they're a very big organization. You know, they've kind of taken a different route than like what an Ipsos has traditionally done. You know, Ipsos is kind of renowned for 
picking up and buying these, you know, smaller technology firms. I mean, they built, they bought my first startup, OTX. Right. And, right. Um, you know, you know, once they bought you, you were kind of absorbed into Ipsos, you know, never to be seen again. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and you were just really inculcated into, you know, into the company, which is not necessarily, you know, a, a bad strategy. But I think the strategy that Cantor is adopting is a really interesting one, which is, you know, investing in, uh, in some cases, buying these, these technology startups or solutions and not really touching them and absorbing into Kantar, but, you know, really, you know, playing this role of, hey, we really believe in this technology and want to support it and we're going to invest in it and, you know, and use it heavily and and help it grow. And I think that's a really interesting and unusual position that I haven't seen any other, um, you know, of the big suppliers really adopt. And I think it's an interesting way, again, of really getting into the space without, without, you know, buying something and just, you know, bringing it in, inside the mothership. <laughs> I totally agree. And it is also attractive for the entrepreneur in that they can continue, they feel as if they can continue to pursue their passion without, you know, necessarily conforming to the mothership, if you will. Uh, you know, I think that's a yeah. really important distinction. And it's a great way for a large company to innovate, uh, not necessarily have to, uh, you know, build it under the roof, but bring it into the roof and let those people be who they are and continue to grow and build their passion. Yeah, I mean, a great example of that is what, you know, Cantor's done with Zappy Store and that, you know, and the integration of Billboard Brown's link products within, you know, within Zappy Store. I mean, I think that's had a, you know, huge impact on, um, you know, not only the, the, the success of those Billboard Brown products, but also on Zappy Store's success overall. I agree. I agree. Well, Kristen, our time is uh, about to wind down here. I really want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I lo- always love talking to you, as you know. If people wanted to increase your social media following, how do they find you? Yeah, on um, Twitter, you can find me on at Kristen Luck, and it's K-R-I-S-T-I-N Luck. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me, my handle is Kristen Luck. And um, I'm also on Instagram if you want to follow me on my travels around the world. I'm um, overseas about half the year, and so I'm kind of spent the last two months right now bebopping around Europe in between consulting gigs. You can find me at Kristen underscore Luck on Instagram. Great. Well, thanks, Kristen, for stopping by. Look forward to talking soon, having you back on the show. And that wraps up this edition of the forum. Some key things that I wanted to highlight that we learned when our conversation with Kristen was personal brand does matter. It doesn't matter if you're internal or external. It's important to kind of be consistent, do a little bit every day, and don't think you are removed from trying to build your own personal brand. It's, it's an important point. Work on the business, not in the business. Continue to focus on what's going to help you grow your business and let other people do the things that you potentially could just delegate so you have that time for yourself. Obviously, we had a great conversation about WIRE, Women in Research, and lots to learn about what's going to happen in the future market research. Thanks for joining this edition of the forum. If you want to continue the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Seema Vasa, or you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks so much. See you next week on the forum. We are so glad you've joined us for the forum. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time with your host, Seema Vasa, on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a good week.